Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello, and thanks for joining once again. On today's episode of Higher Potential Living, I have the guest, Jessica Van Stokum. And today, Jessica is going to be talking about her battle with breast cancer and what that whole experience was like. We get into subjects like the different types of cancer, how it moves through the body, um, what the treatments are like, and what the recovery is like after the treatments. I learned so much in this podcast episode. And, you know, the idea of having Jessica on as a guest is again to try to speak about some of the things that we don't talk about, just dispel some of the ignorance that's in this world and talk about different individuals' experiences. So as I said, I got a lot out of this episode and I hope you do too. Hello, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm happy to have you here, first of all. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> now, you and I actually, we, we connected at uh, the rock climbing gym, a top rock in Brampton. And me being completely nosy as the way I am, I overheard some conversations with one of the owners and thought it sounded very informative. So I came on over to you and I started asking you a million questions and you were amazing about answering all those questions, which planted the seed in my mind about having you on on this podcast. And uh, so here we are, excited to have you jump into it. But today we're gonna be talking about breast cancer. And I love the fact that you are so willing to speak about your experience, kind of even when I was like a complete stranger. We're gonna be talking to a bunch of strangers today over the podcast, but you know, this idea of higher potential living is so much of it is this concept of making people feel that they're not alone, helping people go through the experiences that they've gone through, and also just educating people on things that they don't know about other people's walks of life and experiences. So uh, I would love it if you just kind of introduce yourself a little bit and just started off with where this journey started. Like, when did you and how did you discover that you had breast cancer? Yeah, so uh, July 2018, um, I woke up one morning and like the side of my boob hurt <laughs> right near my uh, armpit and you know I went to go feel it and I was like oh there there is a lump there um it's quite a large lump it kind of felt like a quarter and so you know you always hear about you know cancer and lumps and so I made an appointment with my family doctor um he checked me out he did a he was like, you know what, I think you've got um, fibrocystic breasts, you know, essentially it means you've got lumpy breasts, like, don't worry about it, go do an ultrasound, and uh, we'll go from there. Did the ultrasound, and he said, you know what, just to be sure, I'm going to send you to um, a surgeon who, um, he's a specialist in these things, and he'll, he'll probably do a biopsy. Okay, so I wait for this specialist, and in October, I go see him, he uh I'm um, at Oakville Memorial Hospital. So, so that's already like, that's four months now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so how are you feeling during this time? Um, so immediately upon finding the lump, you know, you go through like the, oh my God, I don't know what this is. I'm freaking out. And, you know, my, my family doctor was just so calm about it that you're like, okay, everything is going to be fine. Oh. Um, I know at one point I, 
um, I did go in to, I think I was bringing my mom to appointment. I was like, Hey, you know, like the appointment that I got is like all the way at the end of October. Like, is, is that okay? He's like, well, I can, you know, refer you to somebody else, but this guy's really great. He's the best, you know, like, I think you should wait for him. I was like, okay, mm. no problem. I wait. I go see him and uh, he does a biopsy and like three days later, he's like, Hey, I'm going to need you to come into the office. So I go in with my husband and he was just like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, um, you have cancer and upon like finding out, like he moved fast, like he sent us downstairs. We had, I did an x-ray blood work. He had booked me in for MRIs, CAT scans, bone density scans, mammograms, like you name it. So it was very quick in finding out, you know, where it was and what was going on. But like, it, you know, it was quick upon like, you know, you're thinking of hospital standards where you're like, um, you know, months away, someone you hear about someone getting an MRI, but like, this was all within a couple of weeks, but it was, uh, it was, it was very intense. I think I was at the hospital multiple times a week for like a whole month. <laughs> and one of the things that we talked about before we actually hit the record mm-hmm. was, you know what that actually means when someone says you have cancer that really doesn't tell you much no it doesn't so you get you get the you have cancer but you that's really all you know you have cancer in that lump but you don't know if it's spread you don't know what grade it is what stage what type nothing um so that month was it was a rough month. I'm not going to lie. I think that was the hardest part of the whole journey, to be honest, the unknown. Um, I found that it's really important to stay busy. Yeah. Um, so I know some people who are like, Oh, you know, like you got bad news. Why didn't you take time off work? I was like, no work was good. (laughs) Work Mm -hmm. kept my mind busy because your mind, my mind at least was my greatest enemy. Um, It was those mindless times where I found that I felt like I was falling apart. Um, You know, you're taking a shower or you're washing the dishes, you're walking the dogs, and there's really nothing to think about. And you're like, oh, my God, where is it? Like, my head hurt today. Does it mean there's cancer in my brain? You know, my foot hurts. My my hip hurts. Is is cancer there? Because you don't know. You just know that you have cancer. And all you know is from the movies, essentially, like until that point, I really did not know anybody who had had cancer um, and survived, (laughs) you know? Um, So it's, you watch the movies, people go for chemo, they get really frail, really weak, they turn into completely different people, and a lot of them don't make it. And so that's kind of really all I knew. So it was not a good time. (laughs) Um, It was that month just waiting to find out even what type of cancer it was, where it was in your body. Yes. Yeah. So, and you got some results. Yes. So, um, so I did all of the scans. We got the MRI and that's when I got called into the surgeon's office again. And he said, you know what, you have a funny little smudge (laughs) in one of your images. And I was like, great. So we did a biopsy of a lymph node and it turns out that I had a lymph node affected as well. So as you find out more information, um, your entire treatment plan changes as well. So originally I was told, hey, you're going to do a lumpectomy. 
just we're going to take out a piece of it and we're going to call it a day as soon as the lymph node got involved it was like no you're doing chemo mm. so um because they don't know how far it's gone so that's when they did the bone density scan uh, or sorry not the bone dense just the bone scan um to see if there's any like abnormalities or growths on any of the bones um and they kind of like they start expanding what they're looking at. You know, they start off with the breast and they start moving out to see, you know, is anything else affected? Um, so I was lucky only one lymph node had it and just the one lump in my breast. Um, but that's when you start going into like what type of breast cancer it is. So there's a couple of different types and depending upon what type you have, um, it ends up with different treatment options or different, you know, chemo drugs. Mm. So what I have is triple, what I had was triple negative breast cancer. Um, you see it more often in younger people. Um, there are certain demographics of people that get it more often. So like my mom's Colombian, so it fits the profile of Latino women <laughs> mm. um, being more susceptible, uh, black women, those of Asian descent, and particularly young people under 40. Um, that's kind of the box that it usually plays in. Um, this is opposed to like, triple negative is also not the most common. Okay. So most people have a positive um, breast cancer. And what they're looking at when they say positive or negative is that they're looking at receptors. So the two main receptors are hormones. So they're looking at estrogen and, uh, progesterone. And those are the two that they're looking at um, to see if it affects your cancer. So your cancer can have like different receptors. And if you give cancer these things, the cancer will grow. The other one is an HER protein. Um, and that if you have all three, you end up being a triple positive breast cancer. Um, I was negative. And so it's, it's, with a triple negative, it means that your cancer grows regardless. So there's nothing uh -huh. that that you add and it grows or you take away to like slow it down. So it's just going to grow and do its thing on its own. Interesting. So you say mm -hmm. that like that changed the plan. Um, you knew at this point in time that chemo was for sure going to be a mm -hmm. thing. Did, did it change throughout the treatment? Did it have to get tweaked as you went or? Um, so... Your problem with cancer is that you have a whole bunch of different doctors and they all need to communicate very well. So mm -hmm. you have your family doctor, you have your main surgeon, then you have your oncologist in charge of chemo. You have your radiologist who's in charge of the radiation treatment. Um, and it sometimes they communicate well, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. So at one point I had gone for a meet and greet um, with the radiologist and he's like, yep, your plan is, uh, you know, after this, you're going to do a lumpectomy and we're going to do radiation. I was like, okay, this is the plan after chemo. And I went to go see my surgeon and I was completely blindsided because I didn't even bring my husband. I thought it was just a, you know, hey, let's plan the date kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, so we're doing a mastectomy on one side. Do you want the other one, the other side done too? And I was like, what? Like, I just sat there and cried and he was like, oh, I was like, this is not what I thought was happening at all. He's like, okay, you know, 
take the weekend, think about it and come back and see me. I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, somewhere along the way, someone did not communicate what was happening because I was not ready for that. So I know and that we feel comfortable to kind of like talk about what that process was like. Cause I've known some, um, yeah. I've known some in my life who've gone through breast cancer I haven't honestly, like so much of this is new to me, even though I've known women that have gone through it, because I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's a combination of people just don't think that they'll get it, or maybe there's a thought that people aren't interested. I find this fascinating, mm -hmm. but a big thing is like, I know for a lot of women, there is a strong association with, with their breasts being a part of their identity. Mm -hmm. So that process of hearing that you were going to have to get one or both removed how did that play out in your mind? Um, I think it was a shock because I was not expecting it. I'd gone in thinking we were going to do one treatment and it was way more than just taking out a piece, you know. Um, I like reading scientific journals. I know it's nerdy, but this is kind of <laughs> what I... Uh, that's kind of where I defaulted. I was like, okay, Amazing you know what? Been friends before this point. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I went online and um, at the beginning of my treatment, um, I realized that the internet is full of lots of garbage, but <laughs> um, the surgeon was like, don't read anything. Don't go online. Here's some books for you. And they were books that were, you know, made by, you know, the cancer societies. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll just read this. This is fine. Um, but for my mastectomy, I did go online and I found some interesting articles about um, how, you know, kind of um, how women felt after having a mastectomy, like their quality of life, mm. um, because tied in with that, it was um, my surgeon was like, you know, we have this new plastic surgeon on our team and she actually has time for you. Um do you want to do that process? So not only was it, hey, are you doing a single or a double mastectomy? It's like, do you want reconstruction as well? So mm -hmm. it was two things going on. And a lot of what I read about was how, regardless of what women decided, as long as their surgeons and their families were super supportive, people were happy. Mm -hmm. um, or happier than, you know, other options available to them. Um, it was also like, what are my chances of not getting cancer if I do a double mastectomy? And, um, you know, it's not much, you get some percentage, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was enough for me to be like, I don't want to ever do chemo again. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I will do whatever it takes to reduce my chances of having cancer. So, yeah. I, th I think it was weird because my oncologist was like, he seemed very upset on my behalf that I was choosing to do a double mastectomy. He's like, yeah, if you, but like, it may not come back. And if it does, we'll just do chemo again. I was like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> I don't want to be back here ever again. Right. So um, that was really my goal. It was like, I will do a double mastectomy and because I literally do not want to have cancer again. Mm -hmm. um, and once I, you know, once I had read enough and like made my decision, I it's, I'm at peace, you know, I've done all I could. 
and I'm good with my decision and I will just move forward with it. So that's kind of how I went that route. Um, I did decide to do um, reconstruction because I felt like I was young enough that if I could retain some bit of normalness mm. back into my life, I would want that. Um, yeah. That's something that you had mentioned when we were talking at the climbing gym was actually that not everyone who does radiation is necessarily able to have like a successful reconstruction. Yes. So you get asked, Hey, do you want reconstruction mm. at a very low point in your life? Like at this point I had no hair. Um, you know, it, you just feel like you're a disaster because you're in the middle of chemo treatment because they're planning for the next stage. Like I did four months of chemo, a month break, and then uh, surgery. And you need to have that all planned by the time of the surgery. Um, so I didn't even know at that point that not everybody qualified for all types of reconstruction. Um, it was only later that um, my plastic surgeon was like, you know, you're really lucky with how your skin came out from radiation because not everybody comes out that way. Um, like I had to only do 25 sessions of radiation. I've heard of some people doing a little bit more, but my skin was completely burned to a crisp. Yeah. It was like the whole chest wall, like extending into like my back. It was just blisters upon blisters. And right now, even so, it's like, it's a little bit more tan than the rest of me. And I make sure like when I go out in the summer, it's like, it's a, it's a thick layer of, I don't even care that it doesn't blend in. Like where the line ends is like, you can see the line of sunscreen coming down. So I, I've done my best to try to protect it. And like for the first like two years, I only wore long sleeve shirts too. So, but um, yeah, this, your, the radiation, it's not just your skin. It can go down into your muscle. And um, if your skin is that damaged, they anticipate that your muscle is potentially also and all the tissues are that damage. And there are a couple of different options for, um, you know, reconstructive surgery. And like one that they really like to use is using um, your muscle from your back um, to kind of act as a mount um, for your breast because they assume that your tissues um, are so damaged that it, you, you won't be able to do one otherwise. But when I was like asking, I was like, okay, so you're, you're taking a piece of this muscle. And she's like, oh no, I'm taking the whole muscle. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> what are the side effects? Like, what can you not do anymore? And the first thing she said was climb. I was <laughs> like, oh, she's like, climb, like rock climbing, climbing ladders or paddling sports. And I was like, Did you know that you were into these things. Nope. Oh, not yeah. So she said this, like, you know, I don't know anybody that climbs. And I was like, oh, I, I do all those things. I like paddling sports and I rock climb. She's like, huh. She's like, I don't actually know anybody that's gone through this. And I don't know how you would react after. I was like, okay, let me think about it. So at this point, I was flat completely on one side and I had a tissue expander on the other side. So 
I was like, well, we have to do something. I can't do lopsided. Like mm-hmm. either we have to find a way to put in a breast of some sort on, on this side, or, you know, we're going to take out the other side. Like I, it's unevenness is not working for me kind of thing. What's a tissue expander? So when they, um, when you get a mastectomy, it's literally, there's nothing left. Right. It's like they lift up the skin and everything is gone underneath. So all the way down until your pectoral muscles. Mm-hmm. So you end up completely flat and they take away a lot of your skin tissue. And with your mastectomy, you can have a nipple sparing one, or you can have your nipple removed. Um, it all depends on how far your, um, your cancer is. So, um, for my affected side, I didn't have an option. It's just nipple removed, but the other side, they were like, do you want to keep it? Or do you want to get rid of it? Um, I asked my surgeon, she said, I suggest you keep it. So I did. Um, but you don't have a lot of skin. So essentially what they do is they put in a tissue expander and it's like a precursor to a permanent implant. Um, it's imagine like a little bag full of saline, but it also has a little plastic piece on it and a magnet and they put it underneath you and it starts off pretty flat, not a lot of fluid in it. And every other week you would go in and see your plastic surgeon. Um, they take a a magnet to find where they need to inject a needle into you Mm. to fill up your little bag with fluid. So as the little bag expands, it's kind of like, you know, pregnant people with their skin expanding as a baby grows. So you grow a bit of skin, stretch it out a little bit week after week until you have enough of a pocket um, and enough skin that you can then have an exchange surgery and put in a permanent implant instead of your tissue expander. And now they could only do that on the one side, but they couldn't do it on the other side? Yeah, so they did it on one side to start. So they did it actually at the same time as my mastectomy. So um, when I woke up from my mastectomy, I was completely flat on one side. It was actually probably indented a little bit, but the other side had this kind of funny little lump um, because tissue expanders are not meant to have the same look or feel as a natural breast or even one with an implant. Um, their goal is not to look natural. Their goal is to make space and skin. Yeah. Um, so they look really weird. They, they're kind of not in the right place, but they're kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. And you don't realize this until you switch it out and you're just like, oh my God, how was I living with that for two years? <laughs> mm. But um yeah, so I can't even remember where we were going with this, but no, it's, it's all amazing information. Did they yeah. end up putting one on the other side as well? Then, yeah. So, oh, this is where we were going. So, inst- so hearing muscle. about yeah losing your your lat muscle, I was like, yeah, no, this is not going to work because like, and I did something that may or may not have been right, but I went on the internet. I was determined to find somebody who climbed and had lost their lat muscle and I couldn't find anybody. Mm. Um, all I found were super terrifying stories of people who couldn't even hold grocery bags anymore. And I was like, okay, not for me. So I went back to her and I was like, that's not happening. Like I 
don't care what I look like at the end of the day. I care about function. I want to be able to continue to be independent. I still want to climb. I still want to, you know, do sports and activities outdoors. So if we can't figure out a different way, this is like, I'm just going to go flat. Um, at this point, enough time had passed where she like looked at my skin. She's like, you know what? Like your skin looks really good. She's like, it doesn't even look like you did radiation. So that's when she's like, you know what? Let, let's just try putting in a tissue expander. Understand that your risks are much higher because you've had radiation. Um, and we'll go from there. So um, she booked me in for a surgery um, because of COVID. Everything was delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we booked, she booked me in. And at the same time, um, she did a fat graph. Um, basically, she took fat from my thighs and injected it into my muscle in my chest um, because her um, she's done it before. And she says that usually um, you find you can see that the fat kind of loosens everything up and makes everything softer. So she's like, when I put in you t- your tissue expander, I'll do that at the same time so that, you know, if it doesn't do anything, doesn't do anything. But if it helps, great. I was like, okay. So we did that. And I uh, then we started the whole process of seeing her every week to get it filled up until it kind of looked like a normal breast. Yeah. How was that like that stretching of the skin and everything? Was that an uncomfortable process? Um, so on my non-cancerous side, no. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really notice um any pain or anything. Um, the only problem that I had on that side is I guess some of my skin was too thin in some areas. And so I found after my mastectomy, I had a couple extra scars <laughs> where they had to kind of like sew up my skin together again. Um, one of those scars started to stretch. And mm-hmm. so I had a slight complication where I had to go back into surgery. I had to deflate it and then uh, sew up the scar again and then start the process over. Wow. On my radiated side, um, it was fine for the first couple of fills. And then it's like my skin and muscle was like, no, <laughs> this is going to start to hurt because it's not as stretchy anymore. Like um, the skin looks great, but it's like, imagine like after you have like a cut and it kind of scars, like that skin is never the same. It kind of looks a little bit different. It maybe puckers a bit. Um, so I can only imagine what's going on with my skin and my, and my tissue, but it was you could feel that it was really tight. Um, so towards the end, she had to only put a little bit at a time and um, instead of like a, a full injection. Yeah. And this is the thing. So now at this point in time, like you were essentially given the clear cancer free. Mm-hmm. And yet there's all of this stuff that's still in the works. Because like, when did we connect? It was maybe a month ago? I think so, yeah. And that was the first time you had been back climbing. Yes. Yeah. Which is three years. Uh, it was after, so uh, it was the first time after my last surgery. So right. I've been, I've, I found. You snuck, you snuck some climbs in there. Oh, oh yes. I climbed <laughs> the entire time. I even climbed during chemo. 
Okay, good for you. Yeah. Um, they want you to be as active as possible. Um, mm. They say it's really good for your mental health, your physical health. Um, and so with chemo, um, it's a little bit funny because you have chemo and then you have a, a couple not so great days where you're still on medications and then you kind of get cut off those medications and then you feel absolutely terrible, but then you start to feel better again, only in time for chemo to start again, because my cycle was every two weeks. Um, so when I could, I would go climbing. Um, and then during that, that, that break before surgery, I climbed a little bit. Um, then I had surgery and I was off for a couple months um, for my double mastectomy. Um, radiation, it just hurt too much. But then I went back climbing and then I had my surgery last year to put in the right, this, uh, the right side tissue expander. So into my radiated side. So I had another break from climbing a couple months, came back. Actually, no, I didn't because it was COVID. Right, shut down. Yeah. Was, yeah. Okay. I was doing yoga at this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, just this September is when I had my exchange of the tissue expanders out and permanent implants in. So two months off and then I was back to climbing and running and doing everything that I could before. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's very inspirational uh, just hearing just a, a small little piece of what this journey and like my my capacity for taking in the information and everything I love I'm the same way I love reading science journals and all this kind of stuff as part of you know this podcast and everything but man if you weren't if you weren't expecting to go down this journey and then all of a sudden you had to essentially become an expert on all these different facets and there's there's elements I, I would still love to get into I think we still have um, some time to do so but you mm -hmm. even things that I didn't realize about like fertility we were talking before we got into the podcast here mm -hmm. about way that they focus and behave around people at different stages in their lives with all of this is completely different as well. So you're in your thirties. Yep. So I was diagnosed when I was 32 and because I'm relatively young and didn't have kids, um, they send you as part of your whole testing phase, um, to a fertility expert, you know, something that I wasn't really expecting. I was told that, you know, there are certain drugs that will help maybe prevent, um, you know, damage to your reproductive system because chemo, it affects all cells that divide quickly. And mm -hmm. that's why um, you lose your hair because your hair divides fairly quickly. A lot of the side effects um, are in like um, it's pretty common for people to get mouth sores or your digestive system is super sensitive. Um, your skin might be, it's anything that kind of like sheds quickly and reproduces. So that's your reproductive system as well. And so I, we showed up and I thought it was literally just to get a consult for a different type of drug. And um, no, it was definitely a fertility clinic and it was just baby's faces everywhere. And, you know, it's not even like, they start you down the path of not even what you want. It's like, okay, you know, IVF is this and you know, the here's the treatment plan and needles and, you know, collecting of eggs and, you know, storage, but like, oh, but you're an oncology patient. So you'll get a discount. And it was, it was a lot. And I was like, we finally sat down with the actual doctor and it was me and my husband and 
she gave us a little piece of paper and she's like, write down from one to 10, how badly you guys want kids. And my husband wrote a one, <laughs> I wrote a three. And she was like, oh, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> We're like, we get, you, you don't question it. Like yeah, you at that point in time, so, they yeah. were just pointing you in every direction and you just went along with the flow. Yeah. They're just like, you have an appointment. You're like, okay, I'll be there. Um, so it was very, very different. So they put me on a, a deep Lupron injection monthly for while I was on chemo. And it kind of put you in a, um, a fake state of menopause. So it was like hot flashes and it's just terrible. <laughs> hey, to go with everything else that you were experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's. And the purpose is to basically try to put your reproductive in a, a stasis. Yeah. So that when you, you're done chemo, you're not in menopause. Mm -hmm. um, so they do a whole bunch of tests to like check all your levels first. And then, you know, you go do your chemo and a year later, they, they bring you back and they're like, Hey, let's see how you're doing. And she was like, Oh, and I probably and throughout this process, you know, choose any of the doctors. So she, mm -hmm. she maybe needed some bedside manners, but she was like, your reproductive system is old. I was like, Oh, Oh, cool. She's yeah. like, yeah, so you're in perimenopause. So like start expecting it in the next couple of years. And I was like, great. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So everything that you got to kind of experience when you were mm -hmm. and everything. And now this is more to add to everything mm -hmm. you've done. Yes. But there is such a list of things that I just think like the average person, unless you've gone through it, you just don't know. And like one of the, one of the things we were talking about is how common this really is. Yes, it's very common. So just in Canada alone, you have like in 2021, I looked up the stats from the Canadian Cancer Society and it's like 27, like thousand females were diagnosed, new cases and 260 male. So I don't know, like, and this is a, the other thing, like breast cancer, it affects women and ma men. Like it, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it can go for both. Um, out of the women who will be diagnosed with cancer, like 25% of them, it will be breast cancer. Um, the people that I know that have, um, I, I know two other people with breast cancer, but it's, surprisingly the amount of people who say that they have found it themselves so mm. it's not that they're going in for a mammogram um a lot of these people so since being diagnosed with cancer you know i've you know joined a lot of groups um you know some are better than others but a lot of them um you know it's it's nice to know that you're not alone um mm. or you're going through something and um or someone has a question like, hey, this is happening, is this normal? And I remember going through all of these things as well. So having someone say, yes, it's normal, don't worry, it'll be okay, um, is like super helpful. But just the amount of people who find it themselves um, and not even because they're doing a self breast exam, they just happen to have, you know, something hurt or, you know, uh, some of the other, um, you know, 
lookouts for it. It's like, you know, is your breast changing shape? Is, do you have a lump? Does it have, is your skin changing? Is there any discharge? Um, there are so many like different signs and they find those on their own. Um, not just by doing as like a monthly exam, which, you know, we're told forever, you know, you should do this. And most people don't. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always do like a a little post of like, feel it on the first, because, you know, the first of the month is got to be the same time every month. So your breast is always the same, but yeah, so many people find it on their own. And especially with young people, um, so important to like, if you, you have any idea, like if you're not sure, just go and ask, like go see a doctor, ask and, and most of all advocate for yourself. Um, a lot of people are like, Hey, it's, you know, you're not old. You're, you're fine. Well, I was only 32. So yeah. I wasn't old, <laughs> but. And with this kind of thing, like now that you've kind of explained a little bit too about the triple negative, triple positive and all this, like, it sounds like catching it early is it's- so important. You have yeah. so many more options available to you. You may not even have to do chemo. Um, you know, if you decide to do a, a, just a double mastectomy, or maybe it is just chemo and you, you don't even have to go down the route of like um, doing a mastectomy or you skip something along the way, just because it's your stage is lower. It's a lot easier. If it hasn't spread, it's a lot easier. Um, catching it early is so important. So along the journey, what were some of the things that kind of kept you going on those like really, really tough days when, you know, the chemo and, or when you're in limbo and all this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. like, was there specific support that was really big for you? Was there, I don't know, a mantra or something you told yourself daily? Like what were some things that helped you get through the tough times? So, I have an amazing group of like friends and family and people who I consider my family. So that was really good. Um, it's it's hard now because you think of like the before COVID and the after COVID, like during COVID, it sounds like it's been a completely different um, experience for people um, just because when you're undergoing chemo, um, it's so your chance of infection is so much higher because your immune system is shot. Your chemo is killing your immune system. Um, So I think now it's a little bit differently, but just having those coffee dates with friends was really important. Um, Getting out of the house. um, Cancer is, it's kind of, it's, it's lonely. Mm -hmm. Because everything is alone, you know, you're a a lot of people don't work during this time. And like, I can't even imagine working during chemo. So I was so lucky to not even have to worry about that. My work was great. Uh, They were just like, go get better. (laughs) Like, we will figure things out, go get better. Um, But like, my first set of chemo treatments, it was like very much nausea, didn't feel good, didn't want to eat. If I was eating, it was like bread. (laughs) or like very bland foods. Um, And then the second part of my chemo treatment was Taxol. And it made it for me, at least it made my bones, my joints, my muscles hurt. So like, it's like a little lady walking around hobbling through my house, but 
you're at home, you're alone. If, if your partner works, you know, outside of the home, like it's very lonely. Um, so having people call to check up on you, take you out on coffee dates, like what you can do is, was really, was really helpful. Um, my husband's amazing. Um, I have no idea how he, <laughs> how he was so like, I, I can't imagine watching somebody go through it, you know? Um, so he was just the best thing ever. He came to every single one of my, uh, chemo appointments. He drove me everywhere. (laughs) So it's, yeah, my husband, my friends, um, I've got two dogs at home. So honestly, like my dogs were amazing because you just spent so much time at home, but you're never really alone, right? Because the dogs are there and they're just love. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing that we had talked a little bit about is like, it's one thing to be an observer. Like I I was telling you about even the the camp that I've spent quite a bit of time volunteering at um, Mm -hmm. that takes children dealing with cancer and brings them to a children's camp where they can still receive treatment, but they can be a child. Like Mm -hmm. I've witnessed effects of chemotherapy. I've witnessed, you know, when they want to go climb up the rock wall, but they just don't have the strength to do so, or that Mm -hmm. they're in too much pain and all this kind of stuff, but I'm never going to understand what that feels like. Or at this stage in my life, I don't understand what that feels like. So what is that experience where there's just so many people that have so much love but you feel like all the explanation in the world is just not going to bring them to that state of, of, of knowing it. You, you just appreciate what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. So they want to bring you soup. You let them bring you soup. Um, They bring you a blanket. They bring you tea. You accept it all because it's, it's hard for people to watch you know, but they want to help. So if all they can do is bring you tea, like you're grateful for it because it's kind of also helping them cope um, at the same time, because you don't know if it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're, you're hoping that it's going to be okay, but there's not really much you can do about it except follow the treatment plan. Right. Yeah. yeah, So you just, I, I've throughout this journey, I have more patience. I have mm-hmm. more patience. Um, I have more kindness. I have more time for the people around me. Um, I've shifted my priorities. Um, and I don't let the little things get to me mm. because I've seen the bigger picture. Mm-hmm it doesn't matter. So, and unless you've gone through something like this, I don't know. I think it's really hard to reach the state that I've reached. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't care. It's more of, I know that there are bigger things to worry about. Right. 100%. I understand that there are things beyond my control and I'm going to do the best that I can do with the information I have and the resources I have. But beyond that, there's, there's no point in wasting your time 
worrying or, you know, on the little things when there's so much more to the world. 100%. Well, that's a big thing that we've talked about in, in, in mindfulness as a Mm -hmm. whole, like mindfulness means like being in this moment and understanding what we do actually have control over in this world, because, you know, we can plan and plan and plan. And then one day you find a lump Mm -hmm. and all your planning, like the next few years for you might look very different than what you planned for. So now at your stage, um, you'd mentioned a little bit, but like five year is like a big mark, right? What is that? Yeah. So it's, they kind of look at your five year survival, um, especially with triple negative um, cancer. Um, It's a highly, what they call a highly aggressive cancer because it doesn't have any markers. Um, And if it's going to come back, um, and when I say come back, it's the same cancer that's coming back, not a, not a new cancer. It's the same cancer as before that's just been hiding around somewhere in you <laughs> and it just comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, they say if you can make it past your five years and you don't like recurrence is not actually that big of a deal anymore. Like it's, it's like you reach your three-year mark and you kind of like can take a deep breath and you reach your five-year mark and you can also take a deep breath and because things are going well. So you've reached your three? Three in April. So Okay. So expecting a big breath in April. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So that was incredible. You are super inspirational. So thank you so much for that. At this stage, um, Anything, anything else that you feel like either someone who's going through this or someone who's support? Because now when you were talking, part of my mind was also like, oh, it'd be so awesome to talk to your husband about the experience of a support giver for something like that, too. Because, you know, I've, I've talked to people who have had similar dynamics. And for the support giver, I've, I've heard people say that even feeling as close to them feels vulnerable afterwards at almost out of a fear of getting hurt like and I've, I've heard people talk about even pulling away from their partners a little bit when they're going through something like this because the idea of they're almost like preparing themselves for worst case scenario and stuff mm-hmm. like that so you know like we're touching on we're touching on some surface things here but there's a lot that that goes on yeah so is there anything else uh, to anyone who might be listening to this, going through similar experiences, or you know, maybe a unique experience, but can tap into any of this that you'd like to to share or add more to. But now I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, I've never thought of this one before. Um, I guess anybody going through this, it's um, if you're going to be support, like people are going to have good days. They're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my attitude towards it was very positive and I, I think it really helped um, my whole experience. Um, not everybody will be like that. Um, people will go down the road of being bitter and why me? And yes, why me? Like you, you look at me and you know me and I, you're like, I don't understand how this happened, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm a 
fairly active young person. I eat healthy. Like, you know, it's none of like the, Hey, you know, it's, I I don't smoke. I don't drink. Like, (laughs) you know, it's, I don't have anything that should have been like, Hey, you know, like, yeah. 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 No red flag. So it, it all depends on the people and how they are dealing with them and understanding that everybody will have completely different emotional as well as physical responses to everything that they're going through. Um, Be patient, be kind. Um, Some people, they may want to talk about it. Um, If you can be there for them, great. Other people, they're just okay. You know, they've made up decisions on their own and they don't need to go out and look for support um but just knowing that you're there will be helpful you know that that even if it's just a text hey how are you doing today mm-hmm. um, and that, resources that you did find were mm-hmm. there certain books or communities web pages anything like that, that yeah particularly useful yeah so um the one community that i really um connected with um they're called the breasties um mm, i like it <laughs> yeah. uh, they are on instagram as well as facebook and i think what i liked about it is um it's it's a supportive place for people who have breast cancer as well as their caretakers mm. so it's it's both um I, I like that um, you can ask questions there. Um, they put on, um, I guess, before the pandemic, there were in-person <laughs> get-togethers. Um, but after um, or since then, they've done a lot of like Zoom things. But they they put together, um, you know, specialists to come talk at, um, with you. There's, um, you know, they'll do yoga sessions and book clubs, and it's nice to find people that have gone through what you've gone through um, simply because you can have lots of friends who who love you, but they won't ever understand Mm -hmm. exactly what you've gone through. Um, So I find that, you know, just seeing that you're not alone, like you're not just crazy in your own head (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, has been good. Um, I I really like that group. yeah. And, and they're generally a pretty positive bunch. But I think what originally drew me to them is that they they were it, it's run by younger people. They mm. look like me <laughs> mm. um, throughout all of my cancer um, treatments and appointments. Like I think I saw one person who looked to be about 30 years old. Everybody else was like really old. Like I, I couldn't make a connection with them because they were like 80 years old and I'm 30. Right. Right. Um, and it makes sense for people 60 years and plus to get cancer, you know, with genes and, you know, we've got, you know, the two copies of everything, one copy breaks down, but you, you can still go for like your second copy, keeping everything moving in your body. But, you know, if you've got both copies wrong, like I had to go see a gene um, specialist, a genetic counseling at one point, because they're like, you don't fit a profile, like 
let's see if you've got a mutation or something in your family. And she's mm. like, yeah, you know, around 60 years old, there's a higher chance of like both of your copies um, being broken. And so, yeah, people in 60 and up, that's when you start to see a lot of, uh, you know, new cancer cases. Um, so it was hard because you can't relate to any of them. Um, a, a lot of like the community resources are, um, it's like, daytime things and you're like well I still work so right. I, I can't come to your your session mm-hmm. um but like this group was run by people who were younger they they still had lives they were still working some of them were you know had just had kids or looking to have kids so it was a lot easier to relate to than you know somebody double my age yeah for sure mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing you at the climbing gym and to staying in touch. How was it, by the way? Just kind of like, you know, keeping up, getting back into it. I see you attempting some some more challenging climbs. Yeah, um, it's it's been pretty good. I think it's really important to stay active. Um, I know the people that have been active and continue to be active, like they end up with. A much healthier outcome um like i remember after my first like surgery my mastectomy like i couldn't raise my arms higher than my shoulders mm. so you know just forcing myself to do more has been really good but uh, yeah i it's been good <laughs> i hope to continue to get better <laughs> for sure well thank you so much jessica and uh like i said i look forward to, to seeing you around and i'm looking forward to um collectively taking that breath in april as well awesome thank you thanks for coming out today awesome thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode of higher potential living podcast If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.